Flirting the Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your hosts. Hi, Clayton. Hi, Erin. <laughs> it's been a while since we've done a book episode. It has. Absolutely. So that brings us to the book that we read this week, which is Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. It just came out uh, June 1st, 2021. So it's a new book. Um, Let's judge this cover. Okay, so this is a breathtaking cover. Stunning. It's fucking gorgeous. I, you know, and it's a stunning cover. Like, this is a cover, like, if I was, like, you know, walking around my local bookstore, do-to-do, I would stop and gaze at this cover. So you're you're the person who walks around the bookstore that goes, do-to-do, 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 do-to-do. Is it annoying that I just sing out loud while I'm walking through the bookstore? Do you think other people mind? I think it's charming. <laughs> no, I don't. It's an in, it's an internal singing. That's just the soundtrack of my mind. It's all internal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep it all um, in. Keep it all in. I no. This is an absolutely like stunning cover, and I do think after you read the book, then looking at the cover, you do feel like oh, this is them in like a powerful, intimate moment, like rendered really beautifully. What I love about this cover is that it bridges the gap between a photo cover and a cartoon cover mm-hmm. because they're, they're, his arm, Shane's arms, her face, his head, they're all pretty photorealistic. But then with uh, Eve's dress or shirt or whatever she's wearing is drawn but it's just like a block of color. Mm-hmm. And even the font, Seven Days in June, and her name, Tia Williams, th- that font is great. The way it just overlays the, the image, it is a striking cover. I, I mean, this, like like you said, I think this is a book that gets bought from the cover alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do also think this is a book that delivers on the promise of the cover as well, which like, you know, whatever, not all books do, but this is like, and it's not like a cover that I've seen anywhere before. It is like so striking. If you are listening and you haven't seen the cover for Seven Days in June, just give it, just Google it and just to look at it. Because like, I feel like if we describe, like, it's two people sort of embracing and then there's like big blocks of color. It doesn't really talk about how like striking it is as a cover. I think it's gorgeous. Now, would you classify, because I know the clinch is a very specific type of romance cover where the hero has the heroine in his, in embrace. Mm -hmm. This is kind of, you know, Shane's, holding her from behind, crossing Mm -hmm. his arms over her. And would you say this is a clinch, though? Because they are in contact. This is an embrace. It's just a different sort of embrace. Yeah, it's like almost this is like a very modern clinch cover, which I think is great. Or interpretation of it. I think in a, yeah, I mean, in a loose way, I think this could be that. Well, and I think the thing about the clinch covers, and again, if you haven't listened to the 99% Invisible episode about clinch covers or romance covers, like, do, it's fantastic. But I think the part of the reason why those are something that romance readers are clinging to so hard is just because 
it telegraphs that like this is a romance and you are getting a romance and I think this is obviously like a stunningly beautiful cover like no notes it's fantastic but I did have to dig to make sure it was a romance or actually when mm. the the publicist emailed me about this book I was like you know because people email us all the time about books that aren't romances and it's like well we're a romance podcast so we're not going to do that one and it is a romance and and, and it hit clicks every box for romance and is it's fairly traditional in that sense which is like great and then that sort of added to it but um but that's the you know that's the reason for these like overly flowery covers and I think people sometimes think uh, don't understand that but that's sort of what's telegraphing and then when you have these like more and like chiclet is obviously a horrible term we don't love but women's lit or whatever it's called when you have covers that are migrating towards that, what ends up happening is like, you don't get a sense of like, okay, what is this book that I'm getting? Is this a traditional romance? Is it just going to be a, just a story of a woman? Like, is it just going to be women's lit? And there is no sad, there is no romance. Like how explicit is it going to be? Like you just know those things from a clinch cover in a way that you aren't going to get that information from a, a traditional cartoon cover. I mean, yeah. like looking at, and this is, and so we're not really talking about the cover of like Seven Days in June anymore because this is like a very sexy cover as well. Um, and I think telegraphs all those things, but like in general, sort of the ongoing conversation of covers, you know. So Clayton, what was this book about? This book was about Eva and Shane. This is the story of Eva and Shane, mm-hmm. who met when they were teens, spent a week together, Doing drugs, having sex, going nuts, falling in love. And then they grow up to both be successful writers. Shane is a enigmatic, I guess, how would you explain? He's, he's a much beloved and award-winning serious writer. He's like a Colson Whitehead. He's like a, like a like a very cool like intellectual like invited to all the fancy parties writer yes gives only cryptic interviews if he Mm -hmm. speaks at all and also huge drunk was a huge drunk (laughs) was a huge drunk and eva who started writing I guess erotic, it's not even YA, but it's based on Twilight. It's a Twilight-type series called Cursed. Mm-hmm. She wrote the first book when she was 19, and it's a, it's it's she refers to it as smut. Mm-hmm. And she is now waiting to write the 15th book. She can't figure out how to write this 15th book. And finally, maybe getting a movie made, which would in her mind, legitimize what she's doing. So anyway, and it turns out that Shane, the books that he wrote were about a young woman named Eight who is based heavily on Eva. And Eva has a vampire hero in her books Mm -hmm. that is heavily based on Shane. So they're speaking to each other. Yeah, Sebastian. So they're speaking to each other through their work. They meet at a book, I guess, uh, a book event. And he doesn't know she's going to be there. She doesn't know he's going to be there. And things get awkward. And then they rekindle their romance. 
So that's the book. Mm-hmm. And there's some side characters. Eva has a daughter. I don't know how you feel about about Audrey. Precocious. That is the poisonous word when it comes to kids for me. If a child is precocious, I don't want anything to do with it. Like, you know how once upon a time in Hollywood, how everybody freaked out at that young actress's scene? I thought that was the absolute worst scene in the movie. Yeah. I don't like to hear children sing. When when there's when there's things on TV where, oh, this eight-year-old's going to sing the national anthem. Oh, I'm going to run out of the room, please. Because I don't I don't think children I, I don't want to hear them, I don't want to see them. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want them in my romances. Honestly, I I really that was that was a bump for me here, how much of a part of this book she was. Yeah. Well, cause um Eva is divorced from Audrey's father and he lives in California. He's a Pixar like, animator? Yeah, listen, good for him. Yeah. Like, you know, Eva has, like, a pretty great life. She is a very successful author. She lives in my neighborhood. <laughs> yes, um, I, I, yeah, my old neighborhood. Yep, and, uh, yeah, so I also was like, when the hell is she going to her father's? I was over it, too. The thing with, like, why she's there as a character, so, so the thing about this book that I really loved is it's a dual timeline book to... We like weeks in June, years apart, like fifteen years apart. Fifteen I think. years, yeah. And it's them, you know, Shane and Eva as children or children, I, like seventeen years old, meeting and falling in love, and then you have them as adults in sort of the lives that they've created, and both of them have done very well for themselves. Like at this stage, Shane is is sober. He's mentoring kids and working at schools, and is a very successful author. Um, as is. Uh, Eva and so you're you're watching the sort of echoes of the past and where they are now and I think a lot of the reason why Eva was in the state that she was when she was 17 is because of the sins of her mother her mother who was like a very chaotic woman who just seemed to never be able to get it together Mm -hmm. I think it's a, a common experience and so I think being able to show that like okay well this was how Eva was mothered and now this is how Eva is mothering and sort of the change of that was necessary as an echo and i think like really important but i also agree i don't love precocious children and i find them frustrating and annoying when i read books about relationships between parents and children it annoys me when they are buddies yes and i agree and i think it is also it's like it does stress me out too the when kids aren't allowed to be kids and instead have to be like mini adults and i think that you know it happens. And, and Audrey wants to be a celebrity psychologist. What do you know about psychology? I think just she just wants to be a psychologist. Does she want to be a celebrity psychologist specifically? I think she celebrity? said celebrity psychologist. Oh, well, I don't know. That's like my cousin when I was little used to say she wanted to be a famous farmer when she grew up. That is and- that is such a high, <laughs> such a high target to hit. I know. And you know what? She never did become no, a famous. No, she's a teacher right. and a wonderful mother of three. So she's doing well. But 
<laughs> but I think there's like a celebrity is attractive to kids, I think, in a way. So I her wife famous farmer. But what that would even be like you you don't grow the best corn because that's what farmers do is not grow stuff for a living. You in this far in this subsidizing farmers thing. This really is this is the claw. <laughs> Jesus. Um I just find it interesting that a lot of farmers get paid to not do their job. Um, but there's a lot of farmers who do a lot of great things for us. I don't know the famous part. I don't know how she felt because also now she is in her mid thirties. So this was also in like the nineties was when the famous farmer job vocation was really popping off. And I don't know what her idea of how to become famous at farming. I think now with like social media, there are famous farmers at the time. She was like really pioneering a whole new genre, which would be famous farming. Well, you know what? I will say, though. <laughs> they want Haley to listen to this, and for and we need to get her on and talk through the famous part of the famous farmer. I feel like you can become a famous farmer at any age, mm-hmm. and you could... It's like being a bluesman or a blues person. You could be 70 and become a famous farmer. I don't think that the, oh, as soon as you're in your... You, you you know you're on the wrong side of 30 you can't be a famous farmer i right. think like blues music farming is maybe skewed more towards older people so you could don't give up your dream if that is still your dream you could become a famous farmer in your 60s in your 70s in your 80s yeah so once your kids are off to school and they're off to college and then they get married, I mean, you can pick this dream back up and make this a reality. I believe in you. What's Haley? That's yeah. her name? Haley, I believe in you. We believe in you. Well, she did marry. Her husband is the son of someone who runs a pick and pay. So, you know, she's closer to her dream than she was in the 90s. That's, it's incremental. It's baby steps. Yeah. So um, I, we're we're, we're going to keep an eye on that. I, but please update <laughs> me on and on all the movements towards towards your dream life. Towards famous farming. Well, speaking of social media. Speaking of social media, no, okay. Anyway, so this book, I feel like we keep getting off on things. So yeah, well, I was gonna I was gonna speak of social media. Oh, That's I was do doing it. a transition. Because normally when someone says speaking of something, then they are going to extrapolate on that. All topic. right, Clayton, you've gone on a lot of <laughs> tangents. I wasn't sure where this one was going. <laughs> You right. were just scared as to what I was going to start screaming about. I, I can't listen to another screed about subsidized farm, subsidized sunflower oil or some shit. Yeah. Well, you know, then don't be friends with me is all I'm saying. And then we can just be a professional uh, duo and you, and we won't talk about subsidized farming off mic, which is what we do. I'm sad because... I feel that my tastes have calcified. And I am annoyed with myself because I am going to have the same issues with this book that I have with most contemporaries that we've read. And one of my issues here is that it is so pop culture focused, this book. And there's so much talk about 
reality stars and products and songs and it's there's so many pop culture references and the thing with me is i like some of them are old school pop culture references especially when they're younger they talk about genuine and all this stuff which i recognize i am out of the pop culture game at this point i don't have interest i don't care about tiktok i don't care i mean other than our our listeners who want to watch our tiktoks go go watch our tiktoks that's why that's why we farmed it out Mm -hmm. i'm so i'm so out of pop culture that i i can't the way the characters speak in that pop culture zingy manner all the characters kind of had the same jokey way of talking to each other in public that i don't enjoy like when somebody says a statement and then the other person says facts and that's why contemporaries are hard for me because you're, the, so you're an old man well yeah i mean it it doesn't i it, it sound it feels to me like instantly dated when somebody when when the vernacular is so of the moment or even it could be past the moment because i don't know because i'm not I, i'm not in I, I don't speak the way people speak now Everybody should have their vernacular. They can talk however they want to talk. I'm just saying for my personal taste, it seems instantly dated when people are speaking that way. The way you would post a comment on something and you're speaking that way in real life feels to me as instantly dated. And, and so Shane, he became a runner to deal with his drinking, which is what a lot of people do, I've read a ton of running books and it's mm-hmm. always, it's always, well, I was addicted to alcohol and drugs and then I just put on running shoes and ran for 25 miles and now I'm an ultra marathon runner. That's, that's mm-hmm. the origin of a lot of ultra marathon runners. And I love that because he also, he, he ran down by uh, Chelsea Pier and I was, going nuts because he was mentioning all these landmarks and i was like i used to run down there i used to run down there. i was so very excited <laughs> but then shane he's talking about the products that he's wearing and the in how in how they were in runner's world and in best you know best ipod holder or uh iphone holder of 2019 it's like who speaks and thinks this way it, it was very off-putting, the, like, obsession with products in this book to me. No, I, I, I think this is, like, a you thing. And I also think that, like, th- that's shorthand for him not feeling like he's part of the world, of, like, the running world. Or obviously, like, you know, because we know of this, his state at 17, he, he I think he has a level of... Um, he has a level of finance and he's sort of like in these kind of rarefied circles. He's like literary circles and places that he does not feel comfortable, especially then with a newfound sobriety, which is like also, you know, I've never gotten sober, but I feel like I've heard that you feel a little I've bit never gotten sober. No. Yeah. Just, I mean, you, you've never been an alcoholic is what you probably should say. Right. I've never. <laughs> Cause if you say a, you've never gotten sober position. means you're still a strong. <laughs> no, but I think it's like, you feel uncertain. I think there's a lot about Shane that doesn't feel a hundred percent comfortable in the world until he is with Eva, which is like what we love to see. And so, you know, he picks up running this thing that really helps him and he doesn't feel like he can just be himself within that space. So he's like, okay, well I have money. So what's the best shoes to wear? 
And so he researches and that takes time. Because I think the thing is like when you stop drinking, you have a lot of, when you're, when you've been drinking to excess to the level that it seems like Shane was, when you stop, you have a lot of time. And so that a lot of that time can be put into like new obsessions. And so new obsessions with bike, um, with running is that's the shorthand for that. So he doesn't say, well, I stopped drinking and now I have time. So I've spent a lot of time on websites researching and I looked at this and I looked at this and I ended up with this one. It's sort of like, yeah, I picked these because they said they were the best. I'm not confident in myself what I think is the best. So this is what runner's world or whatever says is the best for these different things. And it's like informing the character. I don't have the issue that you have also with like contemporary speak because it's, I don't mind it being dated eventually I think it's like a little bit charming and you know and we've read books in the 90s that are now like a little bit dated and it it just is of a place at a time and I think the thing about this book that is so much about like time and growth and change having it be so rooted in a specific time is it feels like it'll add to the story in years to come as opposed to detract from it can we though can we put a moratorium on the use of badass Badass? Things are referred to as badass so often in culture and in this book. I just don't, I just can't hear anything referred to as badass anymore. I'm just, I can't. It's just, it's one of those things that makes me, anytime something's referred to as badass, I just say, okay, this, it means nothing to me anymore. You need to just have a word that replaces it in your mind, you know? (laughs) Smageggy. That's Schmageggy. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, if, if that's a word you don't like. Um, I'm just a grump. I'm just a grump. You and, are and just I, a, it, like, And it makes me sad term. because I came into this podcast so open-minded. Mm-hmm. And now when I read these contemporaries, I, I feel like I, it's, it, I want to like contemporaries. But it's very hard. It's very hard because I think so many people try to do the witty banter back and forth, but ba ba rom com. I'm writing a book that could also be a script, and a lot of times it falls flat when people try to be so jokey with each other. and And it's it's hard. It's so hard to put your my finger on what makes something funny banter and what makes me groan, and it's such a fine line. Because we've read contemporaries, a few contemporaries, where I felt like the characters did have a good rapport, ping, 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 back and forth. But most of the time, it's the same exact way that people speak to each other in all of these books that there's just something about it that I I just want to skip the dialogue. But, But the thing is, and that's the problem with these books, is that at the core, like I did like Eva and Shane's romance and their love and and I wanted to see more of that I didn't want to hear about Eva's daughter I didn't want to hear about Ty I didn't want a uh, almost a whole chapter from CC Eva's uh, editor's uh, point of view like I just I just I, I don't know I guess it's I know when you write a book you have to have other things happening than just the the, the core of the love mm-hmm. at least a few little other things but there's something about in historicals, I can deal with that. And in contemporaries, I just don't want to 
worry about anything else. You know, I just and, and they're both writers, which is something that interests me. And I I was I liked the idea that they were speaking to each, to each other through their work, which was very interesting. I mean, that but, was beautiful. Yeah. But also, I mean, Cursed was such a Twilight-esque ripoff that it was very difficult for me to be invested in 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 that and how that was her her way of 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 coming to grips with Shane and and Shane's relationship with her like I get the vampire thing and how she made him basically just a needful thing as opposed to a real character because he says about Sebastian that all he does is sulk and her heroine is the one who goes out and just does a bunch of badass, God, a bunch of uh, schmageggy sh- shit. <laughs> she uses bad. He uses badass. I was using his words, not mine. Mm-hmm. I said schmageggy. <laughs> well, also, I think it's like if you think about like she was 19 when she wrote it. And like, true, you know, during that time, vampires were kind of everywhere. And I think it is. The story of Cursed is basically these two people, one's a vampire, and every time like he comes, they put get put on the other side of the globe from each other, and they have to find their way back to each other. I mean, that's great. And- that's some Lady Hawk realness, and I would, I would 100% read that book. And her mom said that they're cursed, and that's where Cursed came from. Mm-hmm. So what did you, so you you really loved this book, right? Am yeah. I wrong? No, I loved it. And and what did you love about it? There's so much that I loved about it. I mean, I think the dual, like, the, I don't love a second chance romance in general. That's, like, not a trope for me. But I thought this was done really beautifully and that it showed the way that you can meet somebody at a certain time of your life and they can put, get such an impression on you and really change your life, even though they only knew each other for seven days when they were very young. Um, and it was so Seven chaotic. days is a thousand years when you're a kid, when you're a teenager. Oh, you know what as I mean? a teen? Oh, yeah. They basically lived together for 30 years. But, like, <laughs> you know, and, and had this really chaotic moment. And I think the way that when you're young, I think when you're, like, 25 and under, like, you can meet somebody and have them really change your life. And that they were in this, the way that it was also treated, like drug use and drinking and stuff, it felt also very real for the way that like teenagers would relate to like sort of substances and things like that. Um, And I thought it was absolutely gorgeously written. And then I loved them as adults because then you see those people, you know, as adults that you've had these really intense relationships with or experiences with, and you have to basically re-meet them as adults and they are different people. And I think both of them, it seems like obviously they're communicating with each other through their work and they are, um, have obviously made such an impression on each other that it sort of informed every aspect of their lives. Um, but to see them then have to re-meet as adults. And I do agree there's a lot of superfluous 
characters or and time spent away from the couple. And I think when the couple, when Shane and Eva are together, it is like electric and it, you read it so, so fast. This book, like the one note that I do have, it takes a long time for Eve, Eva and Shane to be in the same room together. Mm-hmm. And I would almost just start the book at that event. You know, I don't yes. think there's anything before that that was necessary that we didn't learn again later. So I was, uh, anyway, that's just me and nobody asked me and nobody cares. And I have absolutely no experience as an editor or writer. So, um, that was my thing. Like I wanted more of them together, uh, as adults because yeah, they were, they were, they were so good together. And I thought it was, it was just done really well and it was really, really interesting and it was so readable And I do think that there are these books that come out in romance, like every few years that really like push everybody forward. And I really do feel like this could be one of those books because of, you know, the level of writing I thought was really great. The way that the story was told, who these characters are, um, I thought were all really, really fantastic. And I think it's, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about romance a lot of time talking about different aspects of romance. And I think, you know, now when people tell me like, I'm not, I like whatever I tell anyone who'll listen that I read romance. Um, but if people are like, Oh, you read like the, the things, the negative things that people say about romance, we all know what they are. Um, I always say it's like any genre and that we have some books that are really bad some most books that are good that are okay middle of the road and then some books that are like elevating and i would i do think that this book goes against up against like you know like should be on best of list for the year because i think it is just really a gorgeously well done story and i think it does a lot of work talking about identity and it does a lot of work about um who you are at one stage of your life doesn't have to be who you are at another stage of your life. You can let things go. You can reinvent yourself. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just really loved it. I don't know. I feel yeah. like I've been talking for 12 hours. So No, gosh, no. I, the beginning of this podcast was me just screaming at you, Aaron. So you deserve this time in the spotlight here. And I love that you love this book because obviously I did not love it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I just really, I wanted to, I want to love every book, obviously. I want to love every book. And especially because you said how much you enjoyed this book. I wanted to love it even more. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, there's just this block in my head with these things that I have a very hard time getting past. And I wish that I could be better and look past because here's a perfect example of of the block I have. I was mm-hmm. so fixated on Shane mentioning products and how disgusted I was by that. And then you sit there and you give me a great narrative reason why that I did not see. Because I was too blinded by my just hatred for uh, for dropping the names of products in things mm-hmm. and and it made so much sense that now that you explain that to me that yeah the reason why he's so obsessed with the best 
is because he's replaced an addiction with this thing. And then also because he now has money, which he never had, and he's going to buy the best because if he can't feel complete, he's going to try to complete himself with products, mm-hmm. which is something we all do. I'm looking, mm-hmm. I've sat there and looked at the the best running shoes and the best running shorts and all that shit. I've done that myself. Mm-hmm. So, so how could I not see that? I don't know. It's just this blind. I need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's upsetting that you can sit here and be so clear eyed, and I'm just so blinded by my. I hate when people say badass. It just makes me seem so vapid. You know, it, it's it, it's it's frustrating, and I just I just I need to figure out how to get past that blockage. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, and also right. It's- the thing is, is like we haven't talked about it, but it's a big part of the book is that like the, these are two black characters and they, you know, have different cultural touchstones than you have as well. So it's like their vernacular could be slightly different for that oh, reason as well. You know, true, but but I, I will say that the, a lot of the vernacular and, you know, it could listen, a lot of the vernacular could have came from from black culture. But it's definitely been co-opted by the internet in the way people comment on Instagram and stuff. I've definitely seen white people say facts. Oh, I mean, that's sort right. of, I mean, this is such a bigger discussion. But like, yeah, it, uh, like pretty much all slang, especially on the internet, it sort of like originates within black culture and then, you know. Is co-opted sort of by down. other people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 100%. So, so. I by no means want to say I wish – yeah, I should clarify that I'm not – like I wish they would speak less ethnic because that is not what I mean. I just think internet speak in general I have an a, an issue with. It dates books for me, and that's why – and the origins of those words, it doesn't matter the origins for me. Right, but then I think if – then a lot of internet speak has originated in black culture, then that's, you know, it is a cultural difference. And I think it's also, it's like language is ever evolving and it's a, it's a live thing. And I think it it keeps changing. So like, you know, saying facts or something like, yeah, that probably will be dated at a certain stage, but there's also going to be things that are dated as well. I think it is just like the nature of, language and so you know writing a contemporary book it seems like almost a misstep to not be writing in that moment i don't think people would necessarily write books so that you could read them at any time and this could exist at any time you know what i mean it just doesn't bother me as much i just think it makes sense to make it be have it be you know if it is supposed to be taking place in 2020 or i don't or not 2020 there's no covid thank god but like you know whatever year this is supposed to be taking place as the contemporary part like have it be really rooted in that time that works for me it's i don't yeah. mind i also think you're more steeped in it than than i am yeah, that's true you really don't participate in culture a ton i don't i don't can we talk before we go we got to talk about the nap palace oh yeah what are your feelings about it i think i know well, I mean, the rules were you're not supposed to uh, have any sex there, and they fucking it. That was very hot, that, though. That was, 
it was super hot, but also very disrespectful uh, to the rules <laughs> that were laid out for the Nat Palace. Oh, and I know. And I, yes, I'm not proud of my rule following, but, well, no, I am. I'm proud of it. I'm half proud of it, half deeply ashamed of it. But I loved how hot that scene was. But also, at the time, I was thinking, God, somebody else is going to nap in this place. And they specifically said, you're not supposed to get any, what was it? One of the rules was any fluids, any bodily fluids of any kind were not supposed to be spilt or something. Oh, what a disgusting way to say it. It is a disgusting way to say it. And I think I am paraphrasing in my own disgusting way. But as soon as they started fucking, I thought, oh, well, they just broke the cardinal, one of the cardinal rules of the, of the Nap Palace. But yes, that I scene was extremely care. hot. I think the thing that makes it hot is that they weren't allowed to do it, and they were sneaking, and they were still wearing most of their clothes, and they couldn't help themselves, and that was such a sexy scene. I don't care. I don't care. No, and I agree. That was extremely sexy, but also very much against the rules of the nap palace whatever would you go to a nap palace now that i know people are fucking at it no people fuck everywhere though you gotta just get used to it well yeah i mean that's you know listen if you say people fuck everywhere and then that's a blanket statement then we're just all animals and there's nothing we can do and there's no borders or boundaries we can ever draw yeah if you're like uh you know people fucking on the tables in kitchens in the back of restaurants. Would yeah. you go to a restaurant where you know people have fucked on that table? Well, remember when we read that book and they did that? Yeah, and I was upset. <laughs> and I voiced and I voiced that. And but I like, think I'm being consistent. You've, every hotel room you've ever been in, somebody has fucked there. Okay, like, understood. Understood because it's a hotel room and there's no explicit rule that says do not fuck here. Mm-hmm. it's if you're fucking in the nap palace it's like it's like when they when when people spray paint the subway cars that's a slippery slope that then now we can't have nice things because oh now God. it is it is it's the it's the broken oh, window right, thing Yang, calm down. <laughs> it's, the broken, it's the broken window thing i'm telling you as soon as people start fucking in the nap palace then all bets are off <laughs> I, I think it was super hot. I loved it. I loved the idea of the Nat Palace. I don't know myself if I would partake because I would also have just assumed people had had sex. Like, I think anywhere that people are horizontal and there's a closed door, like, people are fucking. Yes. And that just needs to be something that we're all comfortable with in, in this culture. And also bed bugs. There's no way that the Nat Palace doesn't have bed bugs. There 100% would be bed bugs. I mean, I used to want... That was my big, uh, was going to be my big money-making scheme when I worked as a waitress in my early 20s, and I used to work double, so I would work from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., and then from 4 p.m. to 6 a.m., or from then 6 p.m. to 4 a.m., and so I would have this break in the middle of the day, and I was like, wouldn't it be great to have, like, pods like they have in, like, Tokyo, where you can, like, go nap? That's what I always wanted. But Mm -hmm. those would be single, like, almost coffins that you would be in. So you couldn't have more than one person in at a time. So that would at least, like, cut down on the fucking 100% so masturbation, though. You gotta allow it. You know when there's, when it's somewhere where there could be fucking 
and it's not possible, there will be masturbation. Mm-hmm. I think I love a just like what I don't know doesn't hurt me. I just don't want to know things mostly. See, you're weird because you there's things that you like really want to know because you'll you're really nebby and mm-hmm. you'll like look into st- stuff you're not supposed to look into. But then there's like wholesale things you just don't want to think happen, right? Right. And I don't think that's so unusual. I'm not like singling you out as somebody who is that's a bad thing. I think a lot of people are that way. Mm-hmm. Well, here here's the question. Is there anything else that we want to cover? I mean, I think we didn't talk a ton about the book, but I loved the book. You didn't love the book. I would say read the book. But let's go to yeah, the Yeah, and you know, it's, 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 you know, the whole thing, it's not you, it's me. I, I think it, in my, in this situation, it's me. I think so too. I really need to do something about my knee-jerk reaction to modern vernacular. Yeah, it's weird. I think you need to work on it for sure. And side characters. I got I got to learn to love side characters, but I just don't like them. Get away from my but my lovers. I just want lovers on a on an island talking about shit. Mhm. All right. Well, here's the big question. Would you fuck them? Yes, obviously. Yes. Yeah. I definitely would. I'd do them both. Yeah. They're both super sexy and good in bed, and I'm in. Just not at the Nap Palace. No, no. Maybe a nice hotel. Yeah. All right. Should we do Goodreads list? Let's do it. This must not be on a lot, right? No, it was on very few. Because <laughs> so it's 20- new. What? Because it's, it's very, so very new. Yeah, 100%. So it was on 2021 Books by Black Authors. True. Reese Witherspoon's Book Club Picks. It was a pick. That is true. It's on the cover. Romance novels about characters with substance abuse uh, disorders who are sober. Yes. Shane is sober. Mm-hmm. And that's it, really. So what are your tropes? My tropes are author heroine and author hero. Mm-hmm. Second chance romance. Mm-hmm. drunk slash recovering hero, which I guess should not be in the same bucket. And then pop culture overload. Mm-hmm. Too much for me. Too many pop culture references. Aaron, okay. what are your tropes? So I have second chance romance, writers in love, Communicating through work. So they were sort of just telling, talking to each other through their work, which we did talk about earlier, which was fantastic. Kids and romance and dual timelines. Yes, dual timelines. Yeah. Um. All right. So Clayton, what has you swooning this week? Well, Aaron, I've been very excited this past June and, and early July because it is Euro 2020, which is a football, European football tournament that was supposed to happen last year. That is now happening now. So when you Google Euro 2021, it's not Euro 2021. It is Euro 2020. And I love these big international soccer tournaments. They're so fun. It's been great to watch because they can actually have people in the stands. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just been really enjoyable to watch, to watch football, people in the stands. And I, I don't know if you're, are you a fan? Do you watch soccer ever? Do you ever watch, do you ever watch the, the world cup? Like I'll get into the world cup maybe sometimes, but in general, I'm not a huge soccer fan. No. Yeah. Uh, it's, I love it. It's, it's so tension filled. I love games mm-hmm. where, you know, people say, well, it's, it's low scoring, the low scoring games are usually the best because there's so much tension involved. You just never know when a goal is going to erupt. <clears throat> and it's just, there's no, there's just, it's just such a, a great experience to just sit and watch a, a, a football game. I'm going between soccer and football, depending on, cause we get a lot of, we got a lot of people in other countries who are listening to this. So mm-hmm. at the moment, England is still in it. Okay. By the time this drops, they may no they they still they still they'll still have their game against Denmark, so we'll mm-hmm. see if it's coming home. We don't know if it's coming home or not, but it might. Are so, you wait? So you're an England fan? I am a Germany fan, mm-hmm. and they were eliminated. Mm-hmm. And out of the teams that are still remaining, which are Spain, Italy. Denmark and England I'm rooting for England so yeah so anyway Euro 2020 which is going on right now and I think the final game will be next weekend so I'm excited it's great it's great to have people in the stands again yeah that's true so Aaron what has you swooning um so I was on vacation last week, like I mentioned, and it was great because I got to read a ton of really good books. Um, a side wreck is going to be to, you know, we we read one of the VIP series, I think. Did we? I don't remember. Anyway. No, we did. By who? By Kristen Callahan. We read Jack's and Stella's book. Um Anyway, she has a book coming out that is uh, Rye and Brenna, um, and I read an advanced reader copy. It's going to be out at the end of next week, and I would say everybody pre-order it. If you haven't read that series, it's a really fun series, so definitely get in on that. Um, But the book that I read that I absolutely fell in love with, which is like truly no surprise, is Taylor Jenkins Reid's newest book, Malibu Rising. She's one of my favorite authors. Like, what she does is phenomenal. And this book, like lived up to the hype um, in my mind. So this is apparently going to be a quartet of books that she's doing, starting with Evelyn Hugo, which is about an actress in the 60s, Daisy Jones and the Six, which is about a rock band in the 70s, Malibu Rising is about a group of four siblings uh, in the 80s, the son of one of Evelyn Hugo's, I mean, sorry, the children of one of Evelyn Hugo's um, husbands, and, uh, and it is also a dual timeline book, like Seven Days in June. Um, and it is basically the story of their parent, of their childhood and their parents falling in love. And then an hour by hour um, story of this one day where they have a massive party in Malibu. And by the end of the party, the house has burned down. And you get to see why, kind of what happens. But I think Taylor is one of those authors who is consistently pushing yourself in every book you see 
you know, and she started very talented, <laughs> but you see her talent grow and she's always trying to do something different in every book and pulls it off so far in every book. And it is an absolutely stunningly beautiful story about childhood, about family, about sort of breaking out of what your expectations are and sort of that thing of like that we've all experienced. You grow up in a family and you're a certain way when you're a child and they don't ever want you to stop being that same way and how you need to break that. Um, And it, it's just stunningly gorgeous and also really, really funny. Like I have never read a party scene she does a great job that it almost it feels like an 80s movie in that she will have these few page vignettes of like oh and this is what's happening at this part of the party and it's you don't come back to that character necessarily but you just get a sense of like oh this is like if I was walking around a party and I looked over to my left I would see that and then keep walking um anyway it's gorgeous it's beautiful the cover is fantastic it's so well written. I read it all at the beach. And so I want to read it again, like holding a pen in my hand because I love marking up my books and I just need to mark the shit out of it. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. I loved it so much. Can't say enough things about it. And after you read it, if you want to come over to our Instagram and start DMing me your thoughts, I'm here for it every time. So. Oh, nice. Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. So, Aaron, where can they find us? So you can always uh, email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Learning Tropes, on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. I guess now we're on TikTok at Learning the Tropes Podcast. Thanks to Annie. Um, we have our Facebook troop, so come over there as well. Uh, the Learning the Tropes troop. Um, and then we have a merch in the link below. And then also, you guys are really wonderful at doing this, and we so appreciate it. But if you haven't had the chance and you feel so inclined and you want to rate, review, follow, let us, you know, do that. We really appreciate it. Like we said, we read every um, we read every review, um, you know, and we're not paid <laughs> to do this. And so reading the reviews really makes us feel great. And um, so, yeah. Yes, your stars are our reward. Exactly. Um, And also, uh, no surprise to anybody, the next week we are going to be watching and reviewing Virgin River. Um, So we'll have that coming to you guys. I don't know what the schedule for release of those episodes is going to be. We were talking about it. I think what we're going to do is just sort of as we have an episode ready, we'll release it. And it'll be at some point (laughs) after Friday. Um, so if you're into Virgin River, that's what's happening next. And if you haven't watched Virgin River yet, get on it. It's it's really fun. Yes, you have a you have less than a week to catch up before mm-hmm. the drop of season three, which will be July 9th. We're we're gonna be releasing episodes hot and heavy. It's gonna be fast and furious, and mm-hmm. I couldn't be more excited. This is almost like a stay up till 3 a.m. and watch the first two episodes situation <laughs> for me. It's possible. I might possibly do that. Listen, go for it. I don't think I will, but yes. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, Aaron. Happy reading. Happy reading. Bye, guys.